gods and monsters. <laughs> God, I don't know who's weirder, you or me. You just put the law in my hands, and I'm gonna break your heart. Nobody puts baby in the Whatever you do. Hi, everyone, and welcome to part two of our favorite discoveries of 2023. We start out this one with a little bit of discussion of documentaries that we saw for the first time this year that had an impact on us. And then we go on to count down our top five discoveries uh, of narrative features. We hope you enjoy the episode. We're going to do a little look at I've got five that I want to talk about. I don't, I don't know how many you have. I can just sort of like mention okay. all of them. <laughs> now, some of these have, have some similarities to them. Huh? I'm going to do the first. Should we do like all the cult movies? <laughs> right. I'm going to do the first two as a pair. Okay. Uh, they're both directed okay. by Martin Scorsese. They're both music okay. related. The first one is... Rolling Thunder Review, a Bob Dylan story by Martin Scorsese, is the official title. And this is an interesting movie. It's really fascinating. It's a quote-unquote documentary, but there are some things in it that I'm kind of like, I'm not so sure that is entirely documenting real events because later in the film a character shows up by the name of tanner and he's a politician well if you're familiar with the work of robert altman uh it's played by michael murphy who played a character a politician named tanner in a movie called tanner 88 so there's this sense that some of this is real some of it is not it's a really interesting movie. I love Bob Dylan. Um, and I think that there's this wonderful sort of blurring of the lines between reality and fiction in this movie. And um, some of the interviews are really funny. I think Joan Baez um, dressing up like Dylan is one of the funniest things that, um, <laughs> that she did. And I just love that she just loved to fuck with people that way. And he, she knew Dylan so well that she could pass off to people thought that she was him, which is very funny. Interesting. It's on Netflix. No Direction Home, really, I love No Direction Home as well. That's the first half of Martin Scorsese's Dylan documentary, essentially. This is a lot more playful than that. It's doing something that I can't quite put my finger on. Um, that's just making me go, huh, that's that's really fascinating. So um, the other I got to see in a uh, 50th anniversary, or I guess it's 45th anniversary re-release in theaters, and that is The Last Waltz, also directed by Martin Scorsese, about the last concert of the band. 
Um, also appropriate because Robbie Robertson uh, passed away here at the end of the this year. And it's really a document of a kind of magical evening. It's hard to describe concert films to people, especially if you're not a fan of the musicians that are in it. Um, yeah. But the thing is, I'm kind of like, you know, I, I, I think there are some of these musicians that I know a lot of their music and some that I don't. And But somehow it's all just kind of like, it doesn't matter. The way it's staged and shot and sort of the interviews that are interspersed throughout it uh, feel revolutionary, especially for 45 years ago. It's terrific. I've never seen a concert film. I've never seen any of dad's documentaries. Oh, I'm so bad. I got to catch up. <laughs> yeah. That one, uh, The Last Waltz was sort of a big blind spot for me as far as my Scorsese filmography goes. So I felt well, like. Well, I apparently have an it. even bigger blind spots. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. How do I how do I pick which ones to talk about? There's I don't so many know. good ones. Just... There are so many good ones. Okay, I can mention a couple in passing, maybe. Because one thing that, um, like I mentioned on our last episode that I was wanting to do with some of these documentaries that I watched was, like, ones that are not, you know, as big a story. Or, like, if I didn't already kind of know the story before I saw it. Maybe it was about people or, or things that I, I had no idea about before I watched this. So there was a couple of really interesting ones um, that I saw some I already mentioned, like um, Adrian was a big one about um, a certain person. Also, the Rock Hudson documentary on Max. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is very good. Had one of my favorite lines of any movie that I saw this year from one of the people being interviewed. <laughs> if I was fucking Rock Hudson, I would want my mother to know immediately. <laughs> I love whoever said that, but... A couple of documentaries about people that I didn't know about that ended up being like really intriguing. Um, these actually kind of go well together because they're about, you know, pairs or a couple. Um, one is called Harley and Katya that I saw on Netflix. They were um, ice skaters and they sure. were partners mm -hmm. together. Um, he was from Australia and she was from Russia, I believe. And they were just kind of paired together. And basically what, what it's about is just about how the organization that, that puts in, them together didn't really watch out, you know, for their athletes as well as they should have, you know, like bringing them to a completely different country and not really making sure that their mental health was, was in check. You know, those big changes and the, the pressure of competing and all that kind of stuff was very... Kind of tragic story, but um, really, really interesting. The other one is called The Deepest Breath. File this under something I will never, ever do uh, in my entire life because this is, I don't know what the, the, the name of it is exactly, but it's when you dive underwater off mm -hmm. of one, one single breath. <laughs> no oxygen take or anything. You just have like, there's like a line that goes down to the water and you just like straight dive like as far as you can on off of a single breath and i was like okay yeah i will never be doing that because that sounds absolutely terrifying yeah um i don't remember the names of the people in it but it's about a, a couple doesn't end up very well but it's, it's a, another like kind of really fascinating um again just like something that existed in the world that i had no idea about before and then they make it a really unfortunately i guess you can sort of guess like why it's it's uh sad um but 
how that all happens um is just it's like one of those things where it's like these are people that did amazing things that you know you need to know about you know if you're not like in that little you know subculture that even knows that this thing existed you would never know about these people so that's why documentaries like this are, are really cool to see okay all right so the next one um i just watched this yesterday and it's not an easy movie it is called the act of killing from 2012 uh, directed by Joshua Oppenheimer. And so he went to Indonesia to talk with these uh, gangsters, paramilitary folks who had participated in the mass murder of communists during a government changeover in 1965 and 1966. This is 40 years later. And they were all talking about how what a wonderful thing they all did but they couldn't really express why. So the filmmaker said, okay, well, how about you film however you want reenactments of what you did so that you can show us how, how things happened. Interesting. And so these people, they're creating a movie that is essentially them reenacting their murders, but they're also playing the victims in a lot of cases too. And at first it's like, oh, wow, this is fun. And this, but then the weight of their actions sort of dawns on them uh, for, for many of them. And yeah. it's intense. Like the last third of the movie, it's really unexpected. It reaches sort of a level of uh, sort of self-reflection that is difficult to describe or explain. One of the things that was interesting was watching the closing credits. Among the producers are Werner Herzog and Errol Morris, two of the greatest modern documentarians. So having their involvement in this makes a lot of sense. But also you just see line after line of anonymous. The credit is anonymous because people are still afraid that they're going to be killed by this government. It's an intense movie. It's certainly not fun to watch, but it is um, undeniably intriguing. And just like darkness holding the mirror up to itself and not liking what it sees is incredibly powerful. You know, something they were so proud of. And now it's like, wait a minute. We are murderers. We are. <laughs> I mean, this is, it's really something. I, I, wow. it's hard to explain it. Um, it is something that. What is that called again? It's called The Act of Killing. It's on Peacock. There's really not anything like it that I've ever seen. Sounds interesting. Yeah, <laughs> very dark, but it's dark, but it's it's very yeah. it's fascinating because I mean, and it yeah. it does part of it is it shows these guys just in like everyday life. They have children. They have grandchildren. There's one of them who has ducks on on his little dirt farm, and his grandson, you know, accidentally broke the leg, and he's like, "Oh, be careful! Make sure that you apologize to the duck for breaking its leg." Uh, this is a mass murderer. You know, um, who is depicted in sort of this sense of total banality. I think the more that I sort of 
reflect on it, the more it sort of hits me uh, just how powerful film can be as a medium itself as part of what the movie is. But it's not self-congratulatory in any way about that. It's just showing this. And the fact that the director can somehow do this without casting judgment on his subjects and yeah. letting them do that themselves is really interesting. Yeah. Well, I got some fun ones then to kind of balance offset that out. Okay. That one. Um, the shark exploitation doc. Oh, um, that's a great one. That was from Shutter. Yeah. Who doesn't love some shark exploitation movies and a whole documentary all about how amazing those are? Going through all the history of all the different ones gave me a whole list of ones that I still need to see. Um, and then I also watched because I heard so much about this from other people. I watched Class Action Park. Oh, that's great. Um, I love that. About that. <laughs> yeah. Again, just like one of those things is like normally it would be just like something, a story that would be, you know, stuck in that place where it happened, you know. But when you make a, a fun documentary about it, I like that the little animation sequences are cool. <laughs> it's like this is just another one of those like really interesting stories about something that happened. Where is it? Uh, Jersey? Yeah, in We never would have known about this like weird action or what is it called? I can't even think of what it's. I can't. It's, it, action Park, I think, is what it was called. Action, what are the? Yeah, <laughs> it's called Action Park, but you know, like with like rides that were like not safe at all. But uh, I don't know. It seemed like kind of fun. It seemed like something I would have done. Probably when I was a kid, like, you know, jumping off of, like, ropes into a pond of, like, you don't know what the fuck is in there kind of thing. <laughs> That's just the how whole, we lived. You but know, the water slide with the loop in it and all that stuff was <laughs> yes kind of crazy. And people you cutting just, themselves just, on like, the teeth down. because there were so yes. many teeth embedded into it. Oh, my God. Yeah, just a lot of really weird, wild, like, but nothing. It, I liked that it was nothing, like... People died, but I mean, <laughs> most of it, most of it was just like weird shit like that that would yeah. happen. Like, how did the, how did a place like this even exist? And right, <laughs> yeah, very very interesting, uh, very interesting story. I like that one. Did you want me to go to another one now? I don't uh, know. Okay, so um, the next one. This is, it's only 54 minutes. Uh, it's called Lessons of, of Darkness, but, uh, directed by Werner Herzog. Um, I promise my last one's a fun one. Um, but <laughs> this is about, it's kind of two parts. The first half, it's sort of just the camera taking a look at the desert and the destruction after of Kuwait City after the Gulf War, the first Gulf War. But the second half is about uh, firefighters uh, putting out the oil fires. When you know Hussein set all of the oil wells on fire as they were being chased out of Kuwait, and so the firefighting stuff. I mean, only Herzog would get his camera in that close to this, and somehow the way he captures the desert. And the musical choices and his narration and just the image 
and then just observations about human nature in various forms in this are astonishing. I mean, it's sort of a transcendent kind of movie, again, that I didn't expect to be so great. And it really is just a remarkable film. Uh, again, less than an hour, but somehow in that hour, it's kind of transformative in its way. No one goes places like Herzog. No one mm-hmm. is willing to put himself in danger on a level that he is to get the footage. But not in a way that feels reckless, though. He doesn't ask anyone to do something he isn't, he wouldn't do himself. I mean, that's even like in his feature film directing. Um, like Rescue Dawn, he asked the actors to lose a bunch of weight so he lost a bunch of weight too um you know those sorts of things but he takes his camera places that no one else goes and there's a a immediacy to this film that is weirdly poetic too that i just can't really put into words very well the kinds of things this movie made me feel and it's uh something that kind of needs to be experienced to be believed one of the very best movies I saw this year, easily. Cool. So just ones that I would just want to mention because I think people need to check them out. Um, Waco, American Apocalypse mm-hmm. was really cool. The one from Netflix. Mm-hmm. One that I found really interesting I got you to watch was called Orgasm Inc. Um, yep. The story of one taste. One of the weirdest like cults I've ever heard about in my life. Right. That was something. Um, the Hillsong one on uh-huh. Max yeah. was really good. Yeah. Did you want to mention the the Sarah Lawrence one at all? Sure. Uh, no, I wasn't yeah. going to. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. You didn't? Oh, I thought for sure that would be on your list. Well, I thought or... that this, oh. the, the first two parts of that one I felt were sort of boilerplate. It was like, you know, true crime stuff. Mm-hmm. But that third yeah. episode of that yeah. um, was really remarkable. Just sort of the process of deprogramming that this one person goes through is just magnificent documentary filmmaking and it's as good as anything i've seen on hulu or netflix or any of those you know document you know they kind of become documentary machines lately you know true crime documentary machines but that one would did really stand out especially because of that third episode Absolutely. I mean, you need the first yeah. two to sort of know what's up, but that third one was really where that uh, went to a new level. Yeah, so this one we're talking about is called Stolen Youth Inside the Cult at Sarah Lawrence. Yeah, we both really recommend that one. Yeah, A lot of cult ones, um, recent ones that just came out um, that I caught up with was Escaping Twin Flames. Yeah, that one was Very wild. interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. Also, the uh, Love Has Won, the Cult of Mother, Mother God, God one. one. Was, oh, gosh. Uh, I watched that one with my wife, and even she was just like, this is crazy. <laughs> I know. Is, yeah. <laughs> Um, there was a couple ones about Warren Jeffs that I watched. There's one that was called Keep Sweet, Pray, yep. and Obey. I've seen that one. And then there was the other one that's just called Keep Sweet. It was a couple mm-hmm. of years before that. Again, it's like another one of those things where it's like, if you know the story and you can handle like the kind of stuff you know you're going to hear about in a story like that, then check it out. Also, 
on on that same lines was one that I watched called uh, Victim Suspect mm-hmm. um, on Netflix. This is kind of a problem I have with documentaries sometimes is just kind of the way that they're told. Sometimes I don't necessarily like it when the documentarian makes themselves kind of the main person. Right. In the story. And that's where I think this one kind of uh, lost me because the story that it is trying to tell is more important than like you doing the research for the story because it's about women who try to report sexual assaults to the police and Mm. because the police don't believe them or don't investigate enough you know they bully the women into recanting and then they sometimes will then charge the women with filing of false reports and it's happened like several times over the the country and she does get get into like a couple of women's uh stories that are you know willing to talk and and tell their stories so i mean it's obviously like a problem but i don't know like it said i don't i don't really like the way that it, i think it should have been more focused on them rather than the person making the documentary you know i really only like it when the documentarian you know inserts themselves to if it's Werner <laughs> i knew you're gonna say that and then another one that um, I wasn't sure if I was going to like, but I did kind of like a part of it was Monster Inside, America's Most Extreme ah, yeah, Haunted yeah, House. Yeah, it's about yeah, McKamey Manor. McKamey mm-hmm. Manor, like Russ Ross, what his name is? He's a He's a jerk. But yeah. what I liked about this one, it, it went into the psychology of like why those certain people would want to do those extreme haunts. And then yeah. kind of talked about like because one was like um, in the military, mm-hmm. and so he just kind of a way for him to to deal with what he had been through. Like, um, and another girl, similar kind of thing, you know, just wanting to push yourself to really mm-hmm. find out who you really are. And this is just it's an odd way to do it, but this is how they do it. And you can kind of see when at the end they they go through an extreme haunt that's done in the right way not the way that McKamey Manor does it it actually is like helpful uh, for them so I like that aspect of it yeah that's very interesting yeah I thought that was interesting too I I didn't watch that one as closely I went through like a haunted maze once it was too much for me so it's just not my thing (laughs) yeah so that was a long time ago but I was like nah I'm good I'm not gonna do that okay (laughs) um okay this is probably the most I enjoyed going to the movies this year for a 24 re-released uh, 4k edition of stop making sense. Uh, the talking heads concert film directed by Jonathan Demi. I thought I knew what to expect of concert films, but this is on a level that is just I'm not even that big of a talking heads fan. I think I knew like four songs going in tops and yeah, they did all four of those, but it was just like the other things that were happening. It was just, and really it is just the camera capturing this performance, but there's something about it. It is so remarkable. It's hard to even describe why it's just sublime um, a mm-hmm. truly great film, probably the greatest concert film ever made. Just undeniably compelling and powerful and fun. And, uh, you know, it starts out with 
David Byrne just walking onto the stage, a totally empty stage, with his guitar and setting down a tape deck that puts down a beat and he starts playing Psycho Killer. And it's incredible. And then the bassist joins him and they do a song together. And then the crew starts bringing out drum risers and you get the core four of the talking heads. And then it just keeps expanding until they have this massive group. And it's just, it's great party atmosphere. Like I said, even if you're not a talking heads fan, I don't know if that matters because it's really filmmaking at a level that is incomparable. And you kind of see why Jonathan Demi was so great um, in this early film, you know, and, a you know, a documentary <laughs> film with that, you know, a concert film. Great, great movie. All okay. right. Back to our features with our top five. Top five. What do you got at number five? Number five for me is the newest movie on my list. If I had seen it in 2022, it would have been, you know, one of my favorites of that year. And it is good luck to you, Leo Grand. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I still haven't seen this, but I know what you're talking about. So I just had to include it here because I was just so fascinated by it. And it talks about and does a lot of things that... I'm really interested in and that fascinate me. Um, first of all, it's one of my favorite types of movies that we've talked about over and over and over again on the show. It's a movie with minimal cast, uh, minimal location. This time it's mostly just in this one hotel room. And it is the story of Nancy Stokes, who's played by Emma Thompson. She is a middle-aged widow who is at this hotel room to meet a male sex worker that she has hired, Leo Grant, um, played by Daryl McCormick, name that I'm not familiar with, but he's fantastic here. And basically, it's she's hired him because her husband died um, a little while ago, and she's never had an orgasm and really only has ever had missionary sex with the same person for like decades um so she's hired leo to explore herself finally you know so basically the whole movie is um a series of encounters that the the two of them have that um increase in terms of the sexuality sure but um there's also just a lot of really fascinating character stuff going on here because you know she's nervous at first to to do anything so they just kind of talk a lot in this first encounter and you learn so much about the two of them and i really like that it's a movie that just has very very frank discussions honest discussions about sex and sex work and family and relationships there's something that she says about her kids later on where you're like whoa okay but you know you can kind of see maybe where she's coming from and it's about you know getting to know people without making assumptions the movie is very respectful towards sex work which um i like i really appreciated and i like the way that leo was um portrayed because you know he's someone who's very honest about what he does and you believe him when he says that he genuinely likes it and he's very like 
cool and like suave and like all he you know he can like seduce anybody or whatever but then there are little moments when nancy is not around where you kind of see the real him kind of come out where he yeah he's still kind of awkward and like unsure of what to do too like he's putting on a little bit of an act because yeah it's part of his work but it's also like he's got his his issues too that he's got to deal with i went to log this movie at like four four and a half stars um before it was even over and then the last like maybe 15 seconds of this movie immediately made it five stars so that's interesting definitely some that's definitely something to watch for um this was just like I said, I mean, it's one of my my favorite kinds of things. Two people in a room talking and like having really honest and interesting, introspective conversations um, about all kinds of things, their lives. And no, not everybody is perfect and people still have things to, to work through at all points in, in their life. When you, you're middle aged, you think you know everything. You really don't. You got more to learn about people and about yourself and about relationships this is a really, really fascinating movie. A lot of stuff that I was really just happy to kind of see uh, in a movie, too. It's, it's one that I had on my to-watch list as well. Um, okay, my next one is the first of my most represented year on this list. This was not planned, but <laughs> I have uh, three movies from 1971 on this list. The first is directed by... First Blood director himself, Ted Kotcheff, and that is Wake in Fright. Nice. Yeah, yeah this one's cool. Now, this movie, uh, it's kind of a horror movie. Yeah. But yeah. it's on Shudder, so take that for what it is. But So a teacher who's, he's from Sydney, but th- they have a hard time finding teachers to teach in the outback. So he's one of those guys who, you know... He lives out there. You get a certain kind of um, benefit to teaching at these little schools out there. And so um, during the holiday breaks, he's going to go back to Sydney, um, visit his fiance, girlfriend. I can't remember what. But he stops over in a place called the Yaba. <laughs> so this town called the Yaba, which <laughs> is um, short for Bundanyaba as the official name of the town. Anyway, so while he's there, he has a night of drinking and gambling in which he loses everything. And so he's sort of stuck in this town. It's sort of like the Hotel California. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Um, But I think what's great about this movie, I thought this movie, as I was watching it, is just this idea of how we can just amuse ourselves to death, be sort of trapped by fun when we just take responsibility out of the equation. And it gets brutal. It gets really intense. Uh, there's a sequence that, you know, they these guys take him out on a uh, kangaroo hunt that is mm-hmm. crazy and violent and... He gets mm-hmm. his ass kicked by a kangaroo, um, which is cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Donald Pleasance in this is like you've never seen Donald Pleasance before. Uh, <gasps> That's he's, right. Oh, um, he's this guy who's sort of tr- been trapped in the Yaba yeah. himself. It's an Australian movie, and it's got that Australian feel to it. So if you like, 
you know, stuff like Mad Max and, <laughs> and so there's touches of that sort of feel in here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, of sort of that same DNA, or if you like, you know, uh, Richard Fla- Franklin stuff like road games or something, I think there's a sense of that in, in this movie. I just really liked this a lot. This is one of the really great sort of, uh, I think probably underseen early seventies horror films that is, I don't know. It's a horror film. It's not a horror film. It's, I don't know how to classify this movie exactly. It's, uh, it's, it's not like unique horror, yeah. but it's kind of horrible in terms of the, the situation that the character finds mm-hmm. himself in. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I, I saw this years ago. It's, it's kind of one that I want to watch again because I don't know that I watched it in the right frame of mind to really like get into like what it was really talking about like at that yeah. time i was just kind of watching it to watch it because i heard elric uh, mentioned in a bunch yeah um, elric so, is a big i would big like to watch this one this again movie. yeah and, yeah like i said it's on shutter and so it's if you've got shutter it's pretty easy to find i'll have to give i'll have to watch it again wake and fright all right my number four is from 1981 little filmmaker uh michael mann was a movie that like within the first it. 30 or 40 minutes i was like i'm gonna rate this five star this is a five star movie and it's um it's not even halfway done yet um that's thief yeah uh when you mentioned is- uh <laughs> that you had a movie coming up along those lines from when i mentioned uh breaking in i yeah. thought it's gonna be thief uh, isn't it yeah, and i didn't even know one. you watched yeah. that this year i still haven't seen this <laughs> Speaking of Michael Mann, real quick, I did see Ferrari the other day, um, and it's good. The racing sequences are incredibly harrowing, and uh, Penelope Cruz, holy shit, is incredible. Nice. Incredible (laughs) in it. Okay. Back to Thief. (laughs) Thief. So this is starring the late and not just great, but amazing James Caan. as the main character and again like i was saying before with like actors that will pop up again tuesday weld is his uh love interest here it gets compared a lot to michael mann's other film heat a lot they're very kind of similar in like the mood and the feeling but i think i don't know i think i would definitely prefer thief now over that one after watching this um it's one where it's like yeah, I don't know that I understand like all the criminal enterprise talk and sh- shakedowns and everything because again what's interesting about this is the main character and the the human story behind it. So James Conn is Frank, um he's a jewel thief out of prison who more than anything he wants what money can't buy. He wants love. He wants a family with his new girlfriend Jesse Tuesday Wells. And after a job that he does, uh, Frank loses his share um, of the money from that job when his his fence guy gets killed and someone steals the money. So in trying to get his money back, Frank meets this um, higher level guy named uh, Leo, who wants Frank to just work directly for him because he's very much like... uh, rigid in how he does things and he's very focused and determined to do things the right way and this guy um admires that about him 
Frank doesn't really want to um, at first work for this guy, but it's that thing where, you know, in, in a lot of these movies where it's like, okay, I'll do one more big job, you know, set myself up for the kind of life that I want with Jesse. And there are a couple of really memorable standout scenes in this movie. I think the one that everyone remembers and talks about the most, it's just a conversation between two people. Again, it's a scene with Frank and Jesse at a diner where it's very clearly a turning point for the character. And like, I couldn't love James Conn more. Um, Watching him in this is just, he's being like so raw and real with her it's a fabulous scene and then of course it this being a heist movie you know we love a good heist scene there's a couple in here um one there's a i think it's the first one that you kind of see in the movie it's him like uh breaking into a vault and tangerine dreams score mm-hmm. behind and everything Super fucking cool. Uh, the other one is one of those kind of just more like elaborate ones where it's like you see step by step this bank job that he does with a couple other guys makes me feel like it would pair really well with like Rafifi. It's not silent, but it's a long sequence where you see like the whole thing play out. Um, this movie is so cool. It's like it's damn near perfect. It's a masterpiece. So you you got to watch this one, please. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is uh this is one of those big blind spots for me um yes. that I know that I need to fill. This is one of those where it's like, you know, I'm not going to steer you wrong. Right. <laughs> Especially right. with a movie like this. You know you got something good. Yeah. I don't I can't sure. imagine you wouldn't like you wouldn't love this one. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Um, okay, so my next one, also from 1971, uh, directed by Peter Fonda, is The Hired Hand. This is a really different kind of Western. It's mm-hmm. sort of the follow-up to Easy Rider, but instead of Dennis Hopper directing, of course, it's Peter Fonda. Uh, and Dennis Hopper is nowhere to be found in this, of course. He was off making, uh, you know, the last movie or whatever. But Peter Fonda in this, this what he's setting about doing is making... It's sort of got the poetic nature, I guess, of Easy Rider, but also being much more quiet and contemplative than either a traditional Western or the, you know, like the biker films. And that's one of the things about this is how kind of quiet it is. It sort of snuck up on me because of that. Uh, Peter Fonda and Warren Oates have been out wandering for years out on the range together. Um, They have a bond that is closer than brothers, but Peter Fonda is like, it's time to go home. So he goes back home to his wife, played by Verna Bloom, who is sort of given up on him ever coming back. The whole reason why it's called the hired hand is he says, you know, I, I want to come back, but you don't have to pay me. Don't even pay me, but I'm going to just be one of your, like one of your hired men. And I just want to be here with you. And it's sort of this slow reconnection with his wife. It's beautifully done because it does take a lot of time Mm -hmm. for them to sort of find each other again. And then he learns that Arch, the Warren Oates character is in trouble. And he's like, I have to go and take care of this. It's about the bonds between the spouse, but also about the bonds between these friends. 
it's a sneaker. I, I wasn't sure about it when I watched it, but as time went on, it was like, this is really affecting me. It's a really unusual Western. Like I said, because it's so quiet, this was just after the things like, uh, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the, you know, sort of that kind of thing, once upon a time in the West bigger epic things yeah this is a very yeah this and this is opposite of that it's so intimate oh absolutely and it's so quiet and it's so much about the interactions between people it's mostly just the three of them too isn't it from what i recall there's not a lot of other characters i saw this i did see this years ago not really remembering it that well, but I remember really, really being intrigued by it, too, because it's mm-hmm. so different from a lot of other Westerns. Yeah. And, and it's one that I very much would like to watch again. Um, came out on a Arrow Academy Blu-ray. Yep. Um, and I have that. So That's it's how one, I saw it, yeah. Yeah. And it's one that I feel like I want to give another watch to because it's got a vibe that I, I really connected with and thought was very special and powerful nice all right so we're getting into the top three now all right top three getting... all right so this one is a movie that i really didn't think i was ever going to get to see because i had looked for it before and it didn't seem like it was easy to find or i just wasn't looking in the right places or something but i remember hearing about it on pure cinema and now i can't exactly remember which episode that was maybe you can help me if you remember it was one of the earlier ones but uh when i saw this was on max i mean i i jumped on it uh from 1983 star 80 oh yeah yeah uh-huh. um <laughs> super happy yeah movie. That's, um no um this goes along with maybe another documentary series that i might want to <laughs> mention later on um, because this is a uh, biographical drama about the life and death or murder of playboy playmate the dorothy stratton um, who's killed by her husband paul snyder stratton is played by marielle hemingway who is gosh she is just absolutely freaking charming and adorable and vulnerable and charismatic very much how stratton seemed to be described by a lot of people you know they in that um i'm talking about the secrets of playboy um <laughs> talking right. maybe that's on it's on hulu i just i remember people in that describing her as just having something you know very different about her like some of them even saying that she was probably the the best that there ever was and and you can kind of get that um from this uh but this movie is by uh bob fossey who also is it seems to be really good at just like making movies that can make you like just an emotional wreck yeah like he does all that jazz you know all that jazz i haven't even been able to watch a second time i know i can't i don't know if i can do that yeah (laughs) exactly and this one is the same way and i think it's because of like uh, yeah, like almost kind of documentary realistic style that this seems to have. Um, the the feel of it is like it's wonderfully done, like in terms of filmmaking, but it's also God, like so disturbing and hard to watch because the main, I guess, kind of thing is that it's after uh, Paul Snyder, played by uh, Eric Roberts, is it's kind of him like after he's already killed Dorothy, kind of like ranting and 
raving in, in the room and then like her story is shown through like flashbacks and it keeps like cutting back to him on the day of her murder is the way that the movie kind of plays out and Eric Roberts is also um, really amazing as like, I think he's a good looking guy and everything mm-hmm. but here he's just like the the character the the person he's just slimy and sleazy and always trying to make a buck and off of people however he can out of the situation just not a good person and then when the movie gets to the actual murder which i just read was actually filmed in the house where it really took place oh my gosh i I saw that on wikipedia and i was like oh okay dang but um yeah when it when it gets to that part um of the story it's like it's so like harrowing and so hard to watch and so disturbing and mostly because you know that it really happened especially like having seen this whole movie uh falling in love with dorothy stratton and knowing that probably more happened to her that is not in this movie as might also be in the playboy documentary um God, this is this is such a hard movie to watch and like really emotional and but so so good <laughs> so yeah. so gripping. Um, one of those not fun but like really really good movies. Yeah, yeah. I I think I watched it last year for the first time, and uh, yeah, it's powerful, tough yeah. movie. Really great though. Okay, my next two are actually Thanksgiving movies, um, which I had not planned either. But it is what it is. So the first one is from 2021, again. Uh, it is The Humans, directed by Stephen Karam. And this is um, a really interesting film, again, that I didn't really expect would have a great effect on me. Because it really is just about a family gathering at Thanksgiving. And uh, Richard Jenkins plays sort of the patriarch of this family, um, Love him. Yeah, and you've got Beanie Feldstein is his daughter, and Stephen Ewan is her um, like fiance. They live together, and Amy Schumer is the sister. And Amy Schumer has I have never seen her before. It's very understated. It's not a comedic performance, but something about this is really interesting because it's sort of shot like a horror movie it's shot like a ghost story and so there's always a sense like there's something else there you know sort of this family secrets are slowly revealed as the movie goes on and the last shot is so haunting to me it's just really stuck with me and again it's not really a plot movie it's it's uh, about the interactions of this family these traditions they have, sort of the secrets they hold from each other that can drive a wedge, but then they are family, so their bond is still extremely solid, despite all that anyway. I don't know, it just really affected me and really had a had a heavy impact. I just thought it was a kind of beautiful movie. And don't really have more to say than that, because I don't... There's, oh not a lot to give away but i mean there is a there is a surprise there's something that's revealed later in the film that's just kind of like oh my <laughs> you know um and the seeds for that are planted throughout the film 
Yeah, I I was really impressed with this one. Uh, A24, so it's got that slow burning A24 vibe to it. I think it was sort of billed as a horror movie, but I don't see it as that, even though it has sort of the feel of a ghost movie. But the ghosts are in their pasts and relationships and that kind of thing. Right. That sounds like something I would like. Yeah. It's an intriguing movie. Good stuff. Number two is one that I just kind of picked up from the library one day because I liked the actors. I was just kind of expecting to um, like it, but I ended up absolutely fucking loving it. Um, From 1949, The Heiress. Uh, I still haven't seen The Heiress. Yeah, that's that's, that's a yeah. Another one of those big big yes for me i had never heard of it before but mm-hmm. i was like okay it's william wyler it stars mm-hmm. olivia de havilland and montgomery cliff to like okay yeah i'm in and i think <laughs> the reason why i responded so much to this movie um is that it's so high up on my list um is just a because of like another kind of somewhat surprising ending that i didn't really see coming and also because i felt like i really related to and just felt for and felt like I kind of knew what the the main character was going through. Um, So this takes place in New York City in 1849. Um, Olivia de Havilland plays Catherine Sloper. She's just a very sweet, plain, normal woman. Um, Obviously beautiful because she's Olivia de Havilland. Um, But just not like one of those social butterfly types of women are that great at like attracting people to her so she's uh still unmarried which was you know a huge deal back then um but one evening at a party she meets morris played by montgomery clift and her um aunt lavinia kind of tries to push the two of them together and they get on well and Catherine is really happy but both Aunt Lavinia and Catherine's father believe that Morris is um, only after her for her wealth and her inheritance. Her father is a doctor. And so she stands to inherit a lot of money. And the way the movie plays out, you're not really sure yourself kind of what you believe Morris's intentions are, I think, is what makes it really interesting. Having not been lucky at all in love my entire life, um, I kind of really appreciated the way that she played her because she's not just like all mousy and, and sad about it the whole time. Like she's still a pretty strong woman. She's she's defiant and opinionated and, and angry sometimes. And because that kind of situation is is complicated and it's, it's a hard one to to grapple with within your own mind, even especially when you actually have people on the outside like her father is not very kind to her throughout most of the movie but then there's this one part where you find out the true depth of what he really thinks of his daughter and it's like it's heartbreaking um for the character but it's like it's also all that stuff i've said to about myself in my own head so and you know that's probably what she's thinking as well so god i just i I love this character and i don't want to talk about um the ending in case I say anything to ruin anything for anyone who hasn't seen it. 
it kind of feels like it would be a romance movie, but it's mostly a drama. Um, one of the reviews that I read, um, kind of just like a little blurb thing from uh, described De Havilland's performance as spine chilling. And that's a really good word to describe this. I don't, th I don't think it's going to play out how, how you think it is. Um, it's the kind of the feeling that I got from the whole movie was that word. And this movie just really got to me. It was, like I said, it wasn't like the kind of sweet, uplifting, like romantic movie I was expecting. It was something extremely different and more real. And so I, I really appreciated it. Just the, this story being told and it's very cool. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Cool. Beyond what you said, I don't really know much about it, but uh, the uh, <laughs> I've, I've uh, heard of this one and love William Wyler. So, yeah, I'll have to give that a go. Um, all right. So my next one, uh, also a Thanksgiving movie uh, written and directed by uh, Woody Allen, uh, Hannah and Her Sisters. Now, yes, I know. And I'm that's all I'm going to say about that. But... This movie, I'm sorry, it's a masterpiece. There's no other way around it. This movie is remarkable. And uh, I watched it again last night, and it only confirmed that this is a brilliant film. And it's about, uh, it's sort of um, the, I guess, the Robert Altman style film of uh, Woody Allen's filmography. And... It's centered around these three women, uh, Hannah, played by Mia, uh, Mia Farrow. And her sisters. And her sisters. <laughs> uh, Lee, played by Barbara Hershey. And oh, um, Holly, played by Diane Wiest. So Michael Caine's character, Elliot, is married to Hannah, but he's in love with Lee, or at least infatuated with Lee. So everyone else sort of is in the orbit of these three women, okay? Uh, Woody Allen's character, Mickey, is Hannah's ex-husband. He's a hypochondriac, and a uh, <laughs> he goes through sort of an existential crisis. Uh, he tries out different religions and stuff throughout the course of the film. It's actually, he's sort of the comedy of the movie, where the others, it's it's more of a serious take, Um Lee, uh, played by Barbara Hershey, is uh, living with Max von Sydow, who's an artist, and Diane Wiest is a struggling actress, you know, trying to break through and catering with her friend Carrie Fisher on the side. So, <laughs> oh my God, yeah, what kind of cast is this? This, this is insane. <laughs> this is this is a Woody Allen in the '80s cast. Okay, uh, that is it's remarkable. Again, it's not a plot-heavy movie, but it's got all of these characters in their in this orbit. It's very funny, but it's also just got a lot to say, I think, about relationships and um, how our perceptions of people can change over time. Um, because Mickey and uh, Diane Weiss characters, Holly, they had a really horrible date in the past, and then they sort of reconnect later in the movie, and it's sort of just a completely different experience for both of them. It's just sort of the year in the life between these two Thanksgivings. And it's terrific. I, I was just taken by it um, the first time and taken by it again the second time. It's really a terrific film. I would say this is one of his masterpieces, particularly because of those three central performances of Hannah and her sisters. I almost moved it to number one after watching it today. 
It's that good. Oh, wow. I have never seen a Woody Allen movie, and it's just because I have never seen one. So, <laughs> yeah, no other reason. <laughs> yeah, um, like we've had in our own private discussions, people have their own lines, and you just have to respect each person's yeah, line. That's right. When it comes to that that's kind of right. stuff, I that's think. That's right. Yeah. All right, number one time, Brian. Can you believe it? Here we are. What is your number one discovery of? Do you have any guesses at all? What it might be? It's one I saw at the very beginning of the year. I wanted to talk about it so bad when we did our like what we've been watching thing. We did when we do that like March or April or something. Yeah, April. I'm not sure. (laughs) I really Um, wanted to talk about it back then, but I couldn't because I I was pretty sure even back then that this was going to be way, way up on the list if not number one. And it's still number one. Um, My choice is from 1945, Mildred Pierce. Oh, I didn't even know you'd seen this. (laughs) Really? Uh, I I actually kept a secret from you. You might have mentioned it, but I, uh, yeah. I, had I wanted to keep it. I wanted to keep it under wraps. I Part like, of me hoped that you might <laughs> say something else, but uh, I knew yeah, that wasn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> we can talk about that in the discussions. <laughs> <laughs> so again, because you know, you're always going to get um, a lot of movies from me about strong women characters that I love. I mean. Here we go. Um, this is Joan Crawford as the title character, Mildred Pierce. Um, this movie was um, directed by Michael Kurt, Curtis. How do you say it? Curtis? Curtis. Curtis. Okay. And I'm really looking forward to watching this again because I haven't seen it since um, the beginning of the year. And I just recently, in the last, not the last, but maybe the one before that, Criterion Sale, I picked it up. So uh, after I was, I was, writing out my little notes and stuff last night about these movies and i was like god damn i really want to watch mildred pierce i wanted to watch this one again before uh we did this because it was my number one but anyway so this is one where i just i loved the characters i think more than anything Uh, mildred pierce is one of those just like she's feisty independent self-made kind of woman and i would only hope that i could be described like that you know um so this story is another kind of frame story with Mm -hmm. um mildred where she's telling her life story um through uh flashbacks while kind of the main plot so to speak is that her husband monty has been murdered and the police's main suspect is her first husband Bert and so she's for some reason telling her life story to the police but um so their story Mildred and Bert when they were married basically they just weren't happy he was cheating on her uh, he was having I forgot something with his work um to where she had to uh start selling like pies and cakes that she would bake out of her home to help and everything and eventually they split up they have two daughters um one is 10 year old Kay, who's like really like super fun like tomboy type girl and the other is probably my favorite character of like the whole year that i saw um just one of those characters that you love to hate 16 year old um vita who is just uh, ungrateful spiteful manipulative little brat but she is 
fabulous. I kind of love her for that in a way. Kind of reminded me of, or like a character that I quote unquote love in a way, kind of like, what's her name? Madeline Usher, you know, from The Fall mm-hmm. of the House of Usher. It was like, I kind of respect her to a point. She's a horrible person, but mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> she, but the, this and this actress is so good at playing her. Um, so the movie is basically just kind of going through the ups and downs of Mildred's life leading up to, you know, what is going on in the present day with the the murder of her husband. Um, after they split up, she opens her own restaurant and becomes very successful, um, has like a chain of restaurants. She deals with an unimaginable uh, tragedy um, and she tries to stay connected to uh, Vita, who just wants social status and will do kind of anything to get it. Like she's very resentful of of her mother, like just being a baker, like just having her, her own restaurant. Like she wants wealth and, and power and status, Vita does. And it, Mildred is just constantly like trying to connect with her and Vita's just not giving anything back. This is just an endlessly compelling story to me of of these people. Like I said, I just want to go watch it again. Again, it's another one where you just kind of love to see these actors like play with these big characters and like doing so, like especially I don't even know. I need to look up like the girl who plays Vita. Um, she's she's fabulous and Joan Crawford is so sweet and and compelling and emotional and vulnerable and um ah loved 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 this movie like i said i just want to go watch it again now like yeah. can we can we hang up so i can go watch older Pierce? no okay <laughs> i love this movie people that i loved um a very cool like noir story um yeah great great movie <laughs> Yeah, I haven't seen this one in a while, but I have seen it, and uh, it's Ugh. yeah, it's a great movie. It's a terrific movie, and you know, Joan Crawford, Oscar-winning performance, as I recall. Yes. Yeah, great movie. That's a terrific one. Great choice. Yeah. A very worthy number one for sure. Now, it's interesting some of the things that you were mentioning because as you were talking about it, it was making me think of my number one. Okay. Um, okay. Because. This is also a strong central female character. Uh, it's also largely told in flashback, along with a story that's going on at the same time, a frame story that's happening at the same time. Okay, for the past several years, a uh, discovery has come from Fun City Editions. So Jeremy was one of them. Uh, Natural Enemies was one of them. This year, the number one comes from Fun City Editions, Thanks to them, I should say, and their ability to find movies that just seem to connect with me. And that is called, uh, from 1971, once again, T.R. Baskin. It's directed by (laughs) Herbert Ross. It's written by Peter Hyams, uh, who might be a familiar name to some people as well. It stars Candace Bergen, very young, beautiful Candace Bergen. It's sort of a girl from the country comes to the big city kind of movie. But the difference is she is not naive. She knows how the world works and uh, can kind of see through a lot of the bullshit. And she's got an incredible wit. She's able to sort of (laughs) tag most of these guys as wanting to take advantage of her. And she heads them off at the pass. It's very uh, well done. But what it, 
it starts with is Peter Boyle. Uh, Peter Boyle's character, Jack, has come into town, into Chicago. He runs into his friend Larry, uh, played by James Caan. And, hey. yep, exactly. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so Peter Boyle's looking for some some woman action, as they say. And uh, <laughs> and James Caan uh, gives him TR's number. So she's like, okay, whatever. She goes over and he sort of discovers all about this uh, this young woman. And it's very funny. It's got a real melancholy to it that sort of underlies it. But it's so good. And I think uh, Candace Bergen in particular just blew me away with how good she is in this. Because, I mean, I, I'd seen her in things, you know, Murphy Brown, whatever. But sure. she's remarkable here. And I just was really affected by it and by this story it's just a little movie, and it was unavailable for a long time, but uh, it's now got this great Blu-ray from Fun City, um, sort of able to revive it from the dead, uh, which I really appreciate about that company. And it's great. It's really great movie. And, you know, again, it's about people interacting and you know, real life. It's not so much about big plot things but it's just really compelling story really good movie that sounds cool yeah they do seem to find some real gems don't oh, they? oh gosh yeah dang yeah i've <laughs> loved their stuff so i have everything that they've put out so far and it's like do i want this and then i end up getting it it's like yeah i want this <laughs> yeah that's some some big surprises on that list i don't know yeah. That was a very eclectic one, as you were saying. Good job. Yeah, well, like you know. <laughs> okay. Um, so do you have any ones that didn't quite make the list that you want to highlight? So I, I picked out um, a few that kind of just barely not make it. Yeah. I kind of joked with Brian a little bit. Like, should I include 2001 <laughs> yes. on my list? Because it was a big thing between the two of us. But I mean. We already talked about it. We did. You know we I talked like about it. it so, <laughs> and you seem to like about it more after we talked about it. I think I did. Yeah. So you know, it's one that I liked. Um, another one that was really interesting. Oh, I also had um, Death Game. Like I said, like just mm -hmm. barely. If you didn't put it on there, it was going to go on mine. Um, also, um, I Madman. Oh yeah, I'm still I'm still thinking about that one. That was like such a cool, yeah. different, like cool little horror movie. I was uh -huh. really yeah, it was really cool one. to see that mm -hmm. one. And another like weird one that I I really really like not weird just kind of because it's just uh, side effects from mm -hmm. um 2013 Steven Soderbergh. Oh okay. Um, for some reason, like I just I really really liked uh, this the story and again just the the characters and the actors in it just nothing going at all how I, I thought it was gonna go um, I was really really intrigued by that one uh, my dinner with Andre oh yeah uh, that surprising um, movie that that would be interesting and great film you know and it so it's, is it's literally like, two people having dinner. It, it's literally what, yeah. I mean, what, what did we just talk about yeah, <laughs> earlier? Exactly. Like that's kind of my favorite thing. Yeah. Um, and it was fascinating. And like Andre's 
the more he talks, the less you like him. But you're also just like in- intrigued by uh, just like what he's saying and what these guys relationship with. Yeah, that was that was a really cool one. That was one of those ones that you just kind of like you pick on a whim. Um, you're not really sure if you're going to like it. Like I've heard very basic things about it and I just um, put it on one evening and I just, I, it was really cool. It was one of those where I think I'd have to watch it again and really kind of think a little bit more about it before I could talk too much about it to put on the list. Um, another big one we talked about in our mysteries episode that is kind of hard to leave this one off, but Still uh, definitely a really cool one. 1982 Evil Under the Sun. Mm-hmm. Of course, I was going to love this movie. Like, <laughs> And we already talked about it a little bit. So okay, that's my very short list. That yeah. Discards there. Okay. Which is great because I have a really, really, really long one. I, I mean, I could go back like in my, 30, my diary and <laughs> keep going. Almost 25, <laughs> something like that. Um, the other Anthony Perkins movie I was talking about was Remember My Name. Uh, starring Geraldine Chaplin and Anthony Perkins. I haven't heard of that one. Uh, uh, the woman gets out of jail and um, she proceeds to fuck with her ex-husband. Uh, really, cool. that one almost made, that was so close. That was so close. Um, <laughs> interesting spy thriller, Michael Caine, uh, The Ipcris File from 1965 uh really good um i watched the two uh safty brothers movies i watched a good time and uh uncut gems uh good time was the one that i really responded to i like uncut gems a lot but good time robert pattinson's Mm -hmm. kind of a revelation in that movie really good uh let's see here emperor of the north this was up on my list for a long time robert aldrich uh, about hobos in the 30s um getting on trains and uh lee marvin and ernest borgnine are terrific great movie electric glide and blue uh, about motorcycle cops really good one uh little murders that is a wild wild movie uh, directed by the Hopefully late... Hopefully I'll get to see it. <laughs> yeah, directed by Alan Arkin, who passed away this year. Also from 1971, <laughs> by the way. Um, 71 was one of those years, I guess. And uh, so that was... I watch sometimes movies of, you know, so, so-and-so so passed away this year, so I watch mm. some of their movies. Uh, Little Murders was one. And then another one who passed away, uh, William Friedkin, I watched To Live and Die in L.A., I don't yeah. know if I need to say anything more about that. It was great. I also really liked, uh, I didn't put it on here, but The Night They Raided Minsky's was a surprising movie. Not one of his greatest, but pretty fun. Barfly, Diary of a Mad Housewife, and David and Lisa. Uh, <laughs> you know, you should both, put that one on your both, list. <laughs> uh, Frank Perry, uh, great movies. Uh, I have a bunch of horror films that were all really terrific the one that i i swapped out death game for was martin i figured martin probably didn't need my highlighting of it um that's a great one i loved raw the cannibal movie Mm -hmm. from 2016 really good uh i saw abel ferrara's uh, addiction which is a great twist on the vampire film a movie starring mia farrow called see no evil um from 1971 once again See here, The Innkeepers, uh, which we talked about a little bit. Um, And Soon the Darkness, I thought was a really interesting movie because it's sort of like hillbilly horror, except it takes place in France. 
So anyway, oh, okay. <laughs> that's on Shutter. Uh, Cat and the Canary from 1939. Yeah. Uh, talked about that one a little bit already. Um, class of 1984. Too much fun. Threads uh, about nuclear holocaust uh. in Britain from 1984. Um, that's a watch once, never again kind of movie, um, but it's a great one. Uh, the Maniac remake I thought was terrific. Yeah. Love yeah. that. I finally got around to I seeing love that. that. One. I've been wanting to see that for a long time. Okay. Uh, a couple of mysteries. I have three. Murder by Decree, directed by Bob Clark of Black Christmas and a Christmas Story fame and uh, mm-hmm. Death Dream, starring Christopher Plummer as Sherlock Holmes, James Mason as Watson, and it's Sherlock Holmes looking for Jack the Ripper. What nice. more do you need to know? That's Nice. Great. Uh, to go with your uh, Evil Under the Sun, I chose Death on the Nile. There you go. Also starring Peter Ustinov in the Poirot uh, role. Sleuth, Michael Caine, and Laurence Olivier. Two-hander, that is a real clever movie. Uh, hard to find in the in the States. I got a Umbrella DVD was how I had to watch it. I watched a couple of John Waters movies. Uh, Serial Mom was my favorite of those. Yeah. See here... Uh, this is a little bit of a guilty pleasure, I think, if you want to use those words. Uh, Panic in the Year Zero, I thought was kind of an interesting little movie. Uh, Ray I like that one a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just, I, you know, nuclear. Speaking of, nu- it's sort of like, I guess it goes with threads, but um, sort of the idea of nuclear war and they're out in the middle of nowhere and so they're mm-hmm. able to survive. And the last one I put on this was crazy spoof directed by amy heckerling it's a spoof of 30s gangster movies called uh, johnny dangerously yeah um, starring michael keaton and peter boyle griffin dunn mary lou henner joe piscopo it's a crazy crazy movie i thought it was I, kind of yeah. a blast um so i need to watch that one again because i saw that and i was like this is not really working for me yeah. for some reason i would no, I it might it. just I been like it. when i was watching it you know i totally get it yeah okay well now i gotta run through okay there's some other fun ones that i just want to say the titles of the vampire lovers oh, um yeah. i really enjoyed that one cast a deadly spell was a lot of fun mm-hmm. um another one that i used to surprisingly really liked was um hard bodies <laughs> i've been wanting to I've, see that one i've been i found the blu-ray i found the blu-ray for really cheap and you think yeah. it's gonna be something like maybe kind of like misogynistic and gross or something it's not at all it's actually a lot of fun cool <laughs> um i really really like that one um a thriller a cruel picture i saw i actually can't really say I enjoyed that one, but um, you know, it's a, well, it's a like very threads. interesting. <laughs> you know, I can't right, say I enjoyed that either. Yeah. Another one I forgot that was kind of hard to leave off the list was the Seven Ups. Oh yeah, uh, so good. Uh, Dark Victory. That one was interesting. Ugetsu. Mm-hmm. I rewatched the dentist movies. <laughs> that was fun. I did too. Uh, one one you mentioned um, last year. I don't remember. Uh, Leap of Faith. Yes. Saw that one too. Oh, another like uh classic one that I really loved was it could have been up there kind of like with the women was uh You Can't Take It With You. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That uh, Frank Capra movie, right? Yeah. So much fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So so much fun. 
Um, other classic. Uh, oh, the, remember the night? That was a good one. Titanic movie. Yeah. No. Oh. <laughs> night to remember is the Titanic. Movie. No. <laughs> remember the night. Remember the night. <laughs> Which I'm not sure if I've seen uh, it or not. It is uh, Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray. Um, oh, yeah. She that. is. Yeah, she's like a, a shoplifter. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. and he uh-huh. takes her. He takes her home for Christmas or something. Yeah. it's really. Uh-huh. It's actually, yeah, it's actually really cute. One. I've seen that one. That one's good. Very cute. I like that one. Um, Angel. That was an interesting one too. Um, that's on Shutter. Uh, the Trial. That's one that I watched, and then I remember telling you, I was like, "Damn, this would have been so much better if this was like a better version, if it was restored." And then, and then yeah, Criterion yeah, announced because yeah. the way I watched it was like a really crappy version, and I know I probably would have liked it a lot more if it was because it was just not a good way that I, I saw yeah. it. Yeah, I've got the 4K. More uh, William Powell, Myrna Loy, Joy, Double Wedding, um, Manhattan Melodrama. Hey, Manhattan Melodrama. That's the one. John Dillinger was in the theater watching that movie when he was uh, killed by the FBI. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and just, yeah, a lot of classics at the beginning of the year. Um, it happened one night. Um, All I Desire. That was a cool one. Um, and then the other ones we kind of talked about on that episode earlier in the year. Always lots of discoveries throughout yeah. the whole year it's hard to make a decision but i think i'm good with my my 10 <laughs> yeah even though now i'm kind of like huh should i have included the okay no yeah it's already done I we're know, done I know. <laughs> it is written in stone it cannot it be is. changed okay <laughs> cannot be changed at all <laughs> all right okay well hey Woo! that was a that was a lot of movies to throw at you so hopefully maybe you got something that you hadn't seen yet or maybe piqued your interest along the way all right we've got another year of the show coming at you we haven't fully planned things out but we've got um some ideas of where we're gonna go from here we have a few episodes in mind we just don't know exactly when when (laughs) when they're gonna happen yeah or what's coming up next at all yeah yeah (laughs) we're looking forward to another another year here with movies for life and with all of you so we hope that you will t- continue to tune in f- with us. Okay, yep. so you can find me on the socials at BrianWaves42. You can find me on Instagram at Michelle Agan. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at MovieLifePod. And drop a rate and review if you're rate enjoying review. what you are yeah. hearing. So that is it for now. But what are we going to do? We'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye.